Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Tuesday, rainy Tuesday here in Los Angeles. We're going to talk some USC Trojan football and even some USC basketball. Yes, we don't do that very often here on the Peristyle Podcast, but we will today uh, talk about the NCAA snub for USC with Dan Weber, uh, beat writer and columnist here at uscfootball.com. If you have any questions or comments, you can email us podcast at uscfootball.com. Or give us a call, 424-254-9141. Leave us a voicemail, or you can even send us a text at 424-254-9141. Let us know what you're thinking. We got some texts and emails and voicemails to get to right up at the top with Dan Weber. What is up, Dan? How you doing, man? Doing good. Uh, actually, I'm watching uh, Northern Kentucky is playing Louisville in the very first game of the NIT. Northern Kentucky. It's a program that was actually started between two of my classes at Covenant Catholic High School when they were going from a two-year school to a four-year school, and we had all the administration there talking to our seniors. And between classes, I said, do you think you might want to start basketball right away? And they said, well, we're thinking about This was in February. We're thinking about next year. I said, next year? you got to get started right now. You need a coach. You need a schedule. You don't have any players. They actually did it, and I helped them help them get started, help them find the coach, uh, and here they are. They're getting to play Louisville. On the, they they won the Horizon League. Uh, I'm sorry about going off on this tangent. They won the Horizon League, and so they get matched up. Uh, they lose the tournament. And they get matched up in the NIT with Louisville, who apparently Louisville did not want to play and was considering forfeiting the NIT, they were kind of in that situation, the same as USC, where they really probably don't want to be there, don't want to go. And I think their athletic director talked them out of it. But uh, I think it's going to be very interesting tonight to see what happens with USC uh, in the last game of the NIT's first uh, first night, uh, who all plays. Uh, we're hearing maybe uh, – Maybe Trezzi, uh Metu does not want to play and and won't be uh, you know part of the uh, part of USC. We'll see. It's gonna a reason to you know to stay tuned. For sure. I think so it's we, on ESPN too. But yeah, it's gonna be Bill I, Walton again. USC fans gotta love that. But we're uh, oh, that's true. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's the highlight. No yeah. question about it. So we're recording this. I was out of town, uh, went to New York over the weekend, my wife's birthday. We went there and, and had a great time. So I kind of didn't do anything for a while on the site. And so it's Tuesday later afternoon. So by the time this goes up, it'll be a couple hours before tip. So you might not be listening to this till after the game. Um, and so I was in New York at, uh, we were sitting at a sports bar with my wife and we were, uh, waiting for our dinner reservation from across the street and, um, you know, I'm looking at the selection show. I hadn't been on Twitter on my phone. I wasn't really paying attention. I'm like, oh, where's USC seated? I couldn't tell. I'm like, well, okay, they're not in that region. They're not in that region. I'm like, this is weird. And then I looked on Twitter and saw that they got snubbed. Um, and we don't normally talk a lot of basketball here, but we, you know, we got a couple of questions. We wanted to kind of get your thoughts on this. Um, Joan. Yeah. That, by the way, you were lucky not to, you weren't the only ones not <laughs> watching the selection show. Uh, the re, uh, the ratings are in the selection show, uh, selection Sunday show. The ratings were off 52 percent this year. They were on TBS, and I still I'm sitting there watching, and they first time they've ever done it alphabetically. And so you're you know and you're waiting. Oh, so, oh, we got a long way for USC, and they come along, and it's UCLA, and the next one they reveal is Virginia Tech, and you go, uh oh. <laughs> UCLA, Virginia Tech, alphabetically, this is not good. And uh, as it turned out, USC, uh, and you can't tell me. I mean, they they weren't taking any chances. USC wasn't even really the next team in or the next team in or the next. They were the fourth team to miss 
and and to put you know St. Bonaventure and Syracuse is just ridiculous, and and Missouri, some of those teams. I mean, you could say it's ridiculous to have Arizona State in uh, tied for eighth in the Pac-12, but they beat USC as bad as they finished, as horrible as they were at the end of the year. USC was up eight last couple of minutes and gave the game away just the way they did to UCLA when they were up nine last couple of minutes. So, uh, yeah, USC didn't finish strong in some games and that's probably the reason they're not, uh, dancing right now. And we'll see them tonight in the NIT. Um, but I'll read you, I'm not going to read. They're kind of long questions. Uh, Joan from Ketchum, Idaho, uh, wrote in, um, said, I know USC's basketball season did not live up to expectations, nor did they play with intensity that would allow them to meet those expectations. But second place in the Pac-12 tournament, I thought they'd be in the dance. Only one Pac-12 team, and she kind of goes on to talk about, um, you know, Larry Scott and the Pac-12's failure, another indication of parity. So not really happy with what the Pac-12 and wants to know what USC should be doing. And then John from Oakland very disappointed in USC men's team not making the basketball tournament. He's saying this is the worst failure for Lynn Swan as an athletic director because uh, he didn't stand up for them. And probably he said he's the weakest and least qualified USC athletic director uh, in history. So he goes on. He, he talks about Larry Scott and more aspects too. But um, he said USC will never uh, have top success in anything outside of football as long as it continues to hire unqualified and inexperienced ex-celebrity former players as athletic director. So a couple different takes from Joan and John from Oakland. Yeah, I think part of the problem is uh, uh, when you're in a Pac-12 that has the kind of lack of leadership that the Pac-12 has, and when you get everything wrong the way the Pac-12 has for years and years, and they're getting it more and more wrong, that really requires uh, smart, uh, tough-minded, uh, thinking out of the box leadership at USC, um, and you know you can characterize I think Lynn Swan kind of however you want. I don't think we know. It's like a you know a blank slate. Uh, we're just uh, we're not sure. You know you can write on the blackboard whatever you think, uh, but we haven't really seen it, and. Uh, might be time. Uh, somebody at USC has got to do something because I don't think you can depend on any of the other schools in the Pac-12 to do anything that will ever benefit USC. And I guarantee you uh, the people running the Pac-12 couldn't do anything, you know, even by almost by bad luck. Uh, you know, I mean, for example, I don't know if you guys see it today. I posted the Pac-12 task force on basketball which the Pac-12 had to create one because the Pac-12 mentioned more in the FBI stuff than anybody with two coaches fired and indicted, uh, more players named uh, than any other uh, conference from what I can tell. Uh, So the Pac-12 came out today with a 50-page report and with like four major recommendations. And the second recommendation is to separate the NCAA from its uh, investigative and enforcement uh, options and to have those done by an independent outside group. And I'm thinking, hey, where was this recommendation six, seven years ago, eight years ago, whatever, when USC got got screwed by the NCAA? We didn't hear the peep from the Pac-12 then, did we, about how, uh, you know, you needed independent and unbiased and fair and honest and not corrupt uh, people running the investigations, but uh, but at least the Pac-12 got around to it today. Anyway, um, but if you want to read what the Pac-12 thinks uh, is the solution to uh, uh, to the uh, problem with basketball, you can look at uh, you can look uh, on the on uscfootball.com today, and uh, we've got it all there with our comments about it. And it's kind of sad because they say this, you know. Uh, Larry Scott gave him credit said our task force got this done really quickly and it's just terrific. And and we put this, you know, all together and I'm thinking they're taking credit for putting together a report this year for a problem that college basketball has had for the last 50 years. So I mean, to act like, Oh gosh, now we know what's going on because the FBI investigated it. And because the justice department, uh, indicted some people 
uh, come on, everybody knew what was going on in college basketball, and they're calling for transparency and um, where is all the money going and the shoe money and all that. And, I, and you say, well, we know where it's going. It's going to the coaches. It's going to the schools. And it's not going to the players who are wearing the shoes. And so somebody figures out how to get some money to those players. And uh, uh, just, you know, not very satisfactory to say that, uh, you know, just give the NCAA more to do. I mean, they're saying things like uh, no more AAU tournaments sponsored by shoe companies. Uh, We'll have the NCAA run combines. Oh, yeah, that'll work. That'll really go well. Have the NCAA running running the combines instead of the shoe companies. Uh, I can't even imagine how bad that would be. But but anyway, uh, there's a lot of people talking about, you know, college basketball, college sports, and the Pac-12 right now, and, and nobody's very happy. What about the thoughts on Lynn Swan and did he, did he fail to do something? I, mean, I don't think we even know, you know, did he do anything? I don't know. Uh, does he care about basketball? I don't know. Uh, has he said anything? I don't know. I mean, I know this, the Louisville athletic director very prominently uh, said, call the players in and they went over the whole thinking of maybe we're not going to play and maybe we'll forfeit and we're really unhappy and convinced them to play. And I'm thinking, did that happen with the USC? I know the, uh, the USC basketball team wasn't very happy when they found out, for example, about DeAnthony Melton would absolutely not be allowed to play. And, you know, they'd been strung out all year long and thinking he was going to play, thinking he was going to play, finding out finally he's not playing. And the question was, did uh, Lynn Swan come over and talk to you about it? You know, the whole team was like, Lynn, Lynn who? Yeah. <laughs> so we haven't heard anything, you know, and maybe that was the time to really, because apparently Lynn was the, you know, the driving force in saying that the Anthony Melton shouldn't be allowed to be brought back. And uh, the, the players were not happy that, that they didn't really hear from, from Lynn about that. And did, you know, did Lynn, does Lynn have the kinds of contacts, for example, that you could cultivate when you're, you know, trying to get your team in, uh, and, you know, maybe you find out that, look, USC's not getting in unless they win the league. You know, maybe you, you have a different game plan for, for Saturday night's championship game against Arizona. If you know, all we, only way we get in is if we win, we don't win, we're not in. Um, maybe you take some more chances. Maybe you do some more. Cause I'm, you know, it's obvious USC thought they were in that you finish second in the, uh, the regular season, second in a, in a tournament, you have to be in and you've got a, an RPI of 34, which, uh, the lowest RPI in history not to get in was a, a 49 previously. So you gotta think, okay, we're in now their record against, you know, us. UCLA and Arizona, Arizona State, all the teams that are in was awful. I mean, they didn't beat any of them. But um, uh, I would have liked to have seen a, a little, you know, stronger role, uh, a little stronger presence uh, of Lynn in, in this discussion. I mean, when Larry Scott has more to say about how bad you were treated than your own athletic director, that's probably not a good thing. <laughs> Yeah, probably not, Dan. Um, wow, we're talking some hoops. Uh, yeah, it's uh, we don't do that a whole lot here, so we'll see what happens. Like by the time you listen, many of you listen to this, that it'll already the first game at least will already be over. We'll see if USC moves on. I think they're eighteen point favorite. A lot of people on Twitter are saying take those points because USC is probably not caring a whole lot uh, about this game. So. Well, and that team did win the Big South and, and was supposed to go to the tournament. So I, I think that team, Asheville's not that bad. Uh, I mean, I think they were one of those teams that, you know, where you're only going to get one bid and they got upset in a, in a conference tournament. But I think they're not bad. So, uh, USC may have to, have to show up and play and we'll see. Yeah. Before we jump in talking football, what our normal topic is, wanted to thank our sponsor, Trader Joe's. We are still trying to put together a some sort of joint uscfootball.com Trader Joe's tailgate-ish kind of thing before the spring game sort of thing on April 14th. I'm getting a little 
pushback, to be honest, from <laughs> from the people that control that kind of stuff at USC. I'm uh, uh, taking another. That's hard to believe. <laughs> you, you're kidding me, right? <laughs> so we'll we're seeing. I just got an email uh, from Joe uh, John Bassalone, who's uh, president of Trader Joe's, who we've been working with. He's been great with us, and uh, Dan and I actually met him for lunch uh last week or i guess a week ago i don't know uh, but anyway so we're we're trying to work something out if usc is not going to cooperate then we'll either do an event over near trader joe's which wouldn't you know it'd be ideal i think to do it near uh cromwell field because of, you know the games at noon or the practice at noon if that doesn't work we'll figure something else out if we can't do it for uh the spring game then we'll do it you know maybe back in august or something but we wanted to have an event where we could give away those cool Trader Joe's USC bags that everybody loves, and uh, yeah, so we'll, we'll I guarantee you, if you're going to do one in the uh, uh, during the regular season, uh, you might have to do it at Trader Joe's because there won't be uh, tailgating spots anywhere near the Coliseum. I mean, you're going to be lucky if you're going to have a standing room spot, much less uh, 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 you know a parking spot or a tailgating spot. Yeah, so. Uh, It'd be nice if USC would allow allow us to do it uh, in the spring, because tailgating may be a thing of the past uh, for the construction zone season of uh, 2018. Yeah, I'm really kind of worried about what it's going to be. I, I think it's going to be worse than what we think. Um, so we'll see. So I'd love to do something for the spring game. I'll let you know. But Trader Joe's has been really uh, willing to work with us. Uh, my, it's funny. We just got back, and my wife stopped by Trader Joe's to stock up <laughs> for the week so we could. Uh, have some food. It's kind of rainy, so we probably weren't going to be going out anywhere. So we, I think we're going to have some Chinese food tonight, Dan. But we just always use Good. it. We always go there, and, and you can pick up stuff for a couple of days and, and make a few meals. And I encourage you to go out there. You can follow them on Twitter. I mean, on they don't have Twitter. On uh, Instagram, at Trader Joe's, or go to TraderJoe's.com uh, for more information. And those bags. Everyone loves those bags, Dan. Yep. No, uh, those are worth it. I mean, wherever uh, we are, you got to come get one of the bags. So yes. it, it, it will be worth your while. A collector's <laughs> bag that you can keep, and people will want to know where you got it, and can they buy it from you? And uh, no, it's uh, absolutely worth it. All right. Well, want to talk some spring football. So I didn't get to go. So what ended up happening is USC had practice Tuesday and Thursday. I was there for those. Supposed to have practice on Saturday. It was going to rain. Clay Hilton moved it up to Friday. I was already gone anyway, so I was going to miss it uh, for my trip. Um, but wanted to kind of get your thoughts, Dan, before we get into the questions. You're, the first week of spring football, every everything that kind of went on, the the you know Matt Fink and Jack Sears battle, seeing Porter Gustin on the practice field for the first time in, in quite a while. What uh, what were your kind of thoughts in the first week of spring ball? I like Porter. I, I thought he looked great. I thought he just you know, you wouldn't have guessed that he's coming off two injuries that, uh, that, that really hampered him last year. I mean, he just, he looks like Porter. I mean, he just is big and strong and stronger and, and moving great. Uh, so you couldn't ask for any more, uh, from Porter. Uh, we got to see, uh, Matt and, uh, Jack for two days and I thought they looked, you know, in, in shorts and, uh, and helmets. And I thought they both looked good. I think Matt really has a command and a presence and a maturity. He's, uh, you know, he was 169 pounds when he walked into USC that, you know, two, uh, springs ago and he's, uh, he's 205 now. So he's, uh, he's not the same kid at all. Uh, and he just has a look about him, uh, uh, of, of maturity. Uh, Jack is the athlete that we all, you know, he makes things look easy. Uh, is you know he's a year behind uh behind Matt uh and he's a practice behind Matt which we found out on Friday when we said hey coach where's Jack Sears today and coach says oh he's a groomsman at a wedding and we're all like oh okay okay he's in Andrew Voorhees's wedding and we're like what <laughs> so it was a little you know it was a little bit that he was in a, a wedding and that's why I missed practice. And obviously they hadn't planned on having a Friday practice. So that threw the things in the, but, but, um, but to find out that the wedding he was in was his roommates, Andrew Voice's wedding was like, Oh yeah, I guess we hadn't noticed he wasn't here. You don't always notice, uh, the linemen if they're there or not, or at least you don't right away. And, uh, so, uh, so that was a little bit of an interesting uh, Friday. And Clay said, I've got to get finished here. Uh, I've got to head over to um, 
uh, I'm going over to the wedding too. So uh, just another Friday at USC football. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that was interesting. Didn't, I didn't see that one coming about the, the whole, you know, getting married thing. Plus, you know, you, you plan your wedding on a Friday. You're not supposed to have practice and then they move practice to that, you know, so. Yeah. That must've been a little bit of a, yeah. Uh, and it didn't rain on Saturday. I'm not sure if it totally would have crossed paths with the Saturday morning practice, but it certainly got, it certainly got wet, uh, you know, as the day went on uh, Saturday. So it didn't seem like the worst decision in the world. Uh, they were in shoulder pads uh, Friday, did some, did some hitting, did some, uh, uh, you know, the offensive defensive lines went at it. Um, I know people who were observing from farther away thought that the, uh, they did all the one-on-one pass, uh, pass protection drills, thought that the uh, O-line, uh, O-line just got crushed. Uh, it was a little closer and hit a little different angle and they were running by uh, the D-line guys were running by but they weren't going to get to the quarterback they were taking that uh, little bit of a circuitous route and so uh, different people who saw the drills had different you know, opinions uh, that oh, the D-line just killed them which you expect the D-line to be ahead they've got more athletes uh, uh, at this point in time because uh uh, Toa was, isn't working. Andrew Voorhees, uh, wasn't there, obviously. And, uh, and so, uh, you've got a little bit more. Actually, even though they're younger, you've probably got more guys who played on the D line than the O line. I thought the D line looked real good. I thought they looked real, real athletic. Uh, a guy like Malik Thornton, I think he's definitely going to be a factor this year. Uh, the young guys, I thought Jay Tufelli had a really good, he's just, we looked, I mean, you watched that and you thought, okay, that's the kid that everybody thought, you know, was coming in. And, uh, I thought he looked, he looked excellent. Um, uh, Brandon Peely really looked good. We're not seeing Marlon yet. So, uh, so I think they've got, you know, you put, you know, Christian in there with that group and, uh, got a lot of guys that look like they should be able to play. Uh, up front on defense. So um, that was good to see him uh, getting the pads, uh, not full pads, but, but be able to start hitting. And uh, looks like they like to hit. Looks like they've got good team quickness that guys want to move. Uh, now we're going to see, does the offensive line match, match that? I think, you know, this is a defense that maybe is going to be good enough to beat people. I, I know I talked to some of them the other day. I said, are you good enough? Uh, the way a USC team in 2003 that hit a new quarterback that nobody knew anything about, and they were didn't really trust him, and they were just hoping that they could hang in there. Guy named Matt Liner, first start. They go to Auburn against a team that some people thought could win the national championship and put a bunch of guys in the NFL, and USC goes in there and shuts them out, 23 nothing, and first uh, national championship run because that defense was that good. And I said, you know, can this defense be that good? And I think that's the question they're going to have to answer for us. But, uh, but, but if you're USC, you want them thinking that they can be a defense that's that good. And uh, uh, I'm not saying they couldn't be kind of in that area if, if everything, you know, they've got to coach them up in the secondary, for example. They got a ton of athletes. They got a ton of linebackers. Looks like the front line, I think, is going to hold up real well. I mean, they, you want to have a team that can go on the road, uh, second week to Palo Alto, third week to Austin and make it so difficult for those teams to score that your offense has a chance to, uh, to get itself in the game and, you know, you can't turn the ball over. And that happened a few times uh, Friday uh, in pads when uh, Matt Fink threw into coverage. And I think everything got speeded up when they went into pads. And, uh, and it's a defense that makes life pretty miserable for you. Uh, but, uh, but I think they've got a chance uh, to have the kind of defense that USC fans, I think, have been hoping to see uh, and haven't seen you know, for a number of years. Dan, we're going to talk about uh, the running backs coach a little bit. We had a couple questions before about who USC was going to hire, and here's a follow-up voicemail question. Here you go. Hey, fellas. This is Curtis from Moreno Valley. 
I just think I got my wish with our running back coach. I saw the interview with him yesterday, and when he was asked about his philosophy, he said, I think USC has been doing a great job with their running backs, and I just will add a little to it. So they're going to run what they did with the running backs last year, Coach McCullough's system. And uh, this guy, from a lineman perspective, is going to coach the running backs. I wonder how that's going to work out, uh, teaching them from a lineman's perspective, blocking schemes and everything. should be interesting. Also, I heard Clay Helton in the interview yesterday say that both quarterbacks, if you give them an inch on the read option, they can go the distance. These are the type of quarterbacks that are made for our system, the RPOs, the read options on every play. Can't wait to see our offense with a true threat at quarterback to take it on the read option on the distance. What do you guys think? Bye. Yeah, Curtis, I think you're right on the money with the, uh, uh, the and they're not pushing it. Uh, they're allowing them to take the run when it's there. Uh, and they both do it very easily. I mean, it's just a natural kind of a thing for, and we saw that last year, uh, with the scout team or whoever they were, uh, running it, uh, if they were running the offense, uh, that both of them, uh, this their natural, uh, put it into gear and take off. And they don't just necessarily take off for, you know, five yards. That they'll take it as far as they can go. Uh, as far as, uh, um, uh, Tim Drovno, I think the thing he brings, uh, you know, there was a, a physicality, uh, that he had, uh, he coached obviously with, uh, Harbaugh at Stanford and, and there was a physicality at Michigan because they didn't really have a quarterback the last couple of years who could do much of anything. Uh, I think the thing that he does is he kind of ties together the schematic approach to the run game. Uh, you hope that, that they get into the run game in ways in which they don't keep, you know, getting themselves outnumbered at the point of attack and that he's really, uh, and I got the sense from talking to T Martin that he's happy to have a guy who's kind of a run game expert. Uh, involved in the mix now what you don't want it to do is to slow down the play calling i think that's a giant mistake i think usc has to you know they've got more athletes than almost anybody they play they need to they need to you know play fast and they need to play a lot of plays uh on offense and i think one of the things that because they're gonna have enough guys on defense i don't think you have to worry about well, if we play fast on offense, uh, we're going to have to play a lot of defense. I think this is a team that's got enough bodies to play a lot of defense. So you'd like to see them go out and 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 finally play. You know, they talk about it, but play hurry up and uh, and really push it and and be very aggressive. And uh, I think the you know you're probably not going to be able to even remotely improve on uh, on what Delane McCullough did technically with the backs. I mean, he was all the things he did were, you know, you hope they just keep doing it. Uh, and if, uh, Drevno can tie in, you know, th- what the backs are doing with, uh, uh, you know, with the, the way the linemen are blocking and so that you get both parts of the run game together. Uh, I like, you know, I like the way that could go. I don't know that we know for sure it will go that way, but the potential is there. All right, we had a question from Tarek uh, with John Houston at 228. Do you think he can get to 235 by the season? I know his speed is his greatest asset, but the added bulk will help as he takes on blocks. You know what? I don't – I mean, Clancy was shocked, I think. Uh, Clancy thought 225 is fine. I think 225 is fine. I mean, he's the – I will say this. He's the leanest-looking 228 I can remember. Uh, He does not look like he's 228. Uh and he is running to the ball. I mean, he's your sideline to sideline guy and the guy you, you send. And I, I don't know that you want two middle linebackers or inside linebackers who are going to both be the block taker on guys. You know, you got Cam Smith. Uh, I think you need somebody that can run, run plays down and, uh, and get you that coverage everywhere you need it. And so, so I, I'm, I'm, thrilled to death with him at 228 I, I don't i don't think he needs to be 235 now maybe when he goes to the nfl 
uh, and everybody kind of has to has to get a little bigger. But uh, but right now, I think at, at 228, that's uh, that's more I think than than we hoped him for. I, I told him after the because there it was some discussion on the P, and I told him on on uh, on Thursday. I said, there's one big question. You are the, there are more questions about you than anybody. I said, what do you think the question is? He said, my weight. I said, exactly. <laughs> Your weight. What is it? What is it? And he said, it's 228. He said, I, you know, picked up, uh, he, he came in at 220 last summer, but he lost five right away. So he pretty much played at no more than 215 all of last year, but he's, uh, he picked up 13 and, and, it looks good. Uh, so, um, uh, so I'm happy. I think that's fine. I think 228 is terrific for, for John. And he also, Tark also wants to know, do you see anyone emerging at slot receiver? Uh, I think, I think you got some different ways to go there. I, I think you could have a, a Randall Grimes that, you know, the, I know somebody, people are saying he's six, five. I'm happy if he's six, four, six, four is fine. He's big. And you got him, you got a two six fours and a six two if you put those three together. And I think Trevon Sidney is going to be, uh, you know, so two different kinds of receivers, I think, and you can do different things with them. But uh, those two so far, and then, you know, we'll see what we get, you know, with the Mon Ra uh, when, uh, when he arrives. But, uh, but I think uh, – I, I'm pleased with what I'm seeing from both Trevon and um, and uh, Randall Grimes uh, by by um, by Friday's practice. I think we saw those two uh, take a step up uh, on Friday. We had Earl in West LA. He said he read that fifth-year senior Jalen Green is no longer on the roster. What happened? Is he still in school? Did he transfer? I always liked him. He had a great moment in the Rose Bowl and an unforgettable double pass for a touchdown against Notre Dame. Yeah, I mean I like a lot of that the stuff he did. He was heady, he was uh he was uh, uh he he didn't, you know, get a bunch of nerves when he was cuz some of those plays didn't develop the way they were supposed to and he still made plays happen. Uh I'm not sure he's quite got the um the speed. Maybe not he's an athletic quarterback, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're an athletic uh, wide receiver. And all the you know the wide receiver skill sets and what have you. But my understanding is that um, um, those guys, he and Elijah and Tucker, are finishing up so that they can you know go to grad school. I think uh, Jalen might have already gotten the credits, uh, but they're exploring their uh, their transfer options as graduate transfer students. I think is is, is what's happening. So so neither one of them are. Um, are on the field, you know, in the, in the spring. Uh, and, you know, you wish uh, the best for Jalen that he finds a place that really needs uh, what he can bring in, you know, kind of like Bryce Butler when he went to San Diego state and it was the perfect you know, place for Bryce. And uh, we're hoping that uh, Jalen finds that place, but, uh, but yeah, he, he will not be uh, with the team uh, in the fall. The uh, interesting aspect of that, just to kind of follow up with what Dan is saying, um, obviously Sam Darnold left early. Uh, Jalen Green was kind of that emergency quarterback, so you know at least he has experience. Um, you know, with him gone, uh, you have Matt Fink who played in some mob up duty, and then Jack Sears who hasn't played. He redshirted last year, still waiting for JT Daniels who won't be here till fall camp. Um, and you know there were two walk on quarterbacks, and one of them is gone too. Not gone, but they moved uh, Holden. I mean, Thomas Fitz to kicker, so he's a, he's with the special teams now. So now you have Holden Thomas as the the third quarterback. So you know there were maybe five options before, but one of for I don't know why you move one of your walk on quarterbacks to kicker when you really need more quarterbacks than kickers, and then Jalen Green being gone. So it's you know it is a little thin there in that quarterback room, and you know Jalen Green would at least be someone around that had some experience throwing some passes in games that could have done something. Yeah. I mean, I, I, and you need arms. I mean, uh, they're basically three arms in practice and that's not maybe enough when you look at the, put the wide receivers and the, um, uh, and the tight ends together. Uh, so four is a lot. And then on Friday, uh, you just had two quarterbacks that could throw the ball. 
So that's putting a little pressure uh, on their arms um, and, and on the reps uh, that, that you need. So, yeah, Jalen would have been – but I, I don't think Jalen wanted to be a quarterback at the end. I mean, he wanted to, you know, figure his future is, is not as a quarterback, um, although it would have been a nice uh, insurance policy to have Jalen – on the roster and to know that you always could insert him and, and, and go with the run game. But uh, he was a heady, heady uh, kid who handled pressure well. And you, you always respected that. All right. Let's, uh, we got another voicemail question for you. Here you go. Hi guys. This is uh, Daniel Los Angeles. Uh, question for uh, coach Hyde or Dan Weber. Um, the, the the article on uh Pippen's brother, um, he he hit it on the nail. A lot of he's getting a lot of flack for it, but for being young and saying what he's saying. But he's correct. Uh, USC does not play their best players on the field, and uh, Coach Elton is around if he coaching staff. Um, if young players like him are seeing that other other younger players are going to see it as well. But he hit it right on the nail. USC is not currently playing the best players on the field. If they did, if USC took their entire staff, I mean their entire team and just blended the best players on every Saturday to play, the best players. They took the best players that they have on their roster and played every Saturday. There's no way they lose to Ohio State. There's no way they lose to Stanford. There's no way to lose to the, these Notre Dame teams. But they're playing seniority, which is crazy, over the best talent. How are you going to play lesser talent on Saturday? And, and it just doesn't make any sense. It's like you're, you want to lose. You're asking to lose if you do that. Just because they're a veteran does not mean they're going to be able to beat someone else who's better than you at your position because you're older than them. You have to play the best players. And, he, and Michael Pittman's brother hit, on, hit a right on the nail. Your, your thoughts? Well, I, I think they've had uh, a little issue with that the last two years at the beginning. I mean, I think there were people like uh, Ryan was probably the first one to, to really make the case for Tyler Vaughn's, and it was obvious. And you watch Tyler Vaughn's now, and he looks like an All-American, and you think, gosh, how was that guy, you know, on the bench to start last year? And you got, you know, Sam Darnold from the year before, that kind of thing. Uh, and it's a learning experience. I don't know that it's always, uh, you know, you have a fairly young coaching coaching staff uh, or young head coach in terms of, you know, making all those uh, final calls. Uh, I think they're pretty close to – playing the best players now i i can't think of somebody uh, that would be obviously uh not getting to play once they got obvious and it was so clear michael Pittman had to be on the field um now the question with him was was it still uh the high ankle sprain that was keeping him out or was it a kind of a seniority thing and i think you know we can probably say it was a little bit of both um, and I think they're very happy that they figured that out. They're obviously happy they figured out Tyler Vaughn's, and now they've got two guys who I think are ready to step in, you know, for Deontay. I think they've got two two guys in Michael Pittman and Tyler Vaughn's who are, you know, lead receiver type guys and, you know, can follow in the footsteps of of that whole group of, of uh, USC lead receivers uh, year after year after year. But uh, I think they're working their way through it. Uh, I think one of the things that works against it a little bit, especially with the line play, is if you um, don't practice in pads uh, and maybe stop practicing fairly early in the season and start going in shorts on Tuesday, for example, I think it makes it harder for the young uh, offensive linemen, maybe especially, but both both sides of the ball, harder for them uh, to beat people out, harder for them to improve because basically you're doing walkthroughs for each week's game and you've already got your lineup set. So, yeah, I would like, and I think that was one of the geniuses of Pete Carroll, was the ability uh, for those players to think they could challenge all the way through the season, that they're, you know, there was a lot of talk about competition and, you know, that's the thing here. And uh, and yet it really was. I think it really was a big part of what they did and a big part of how they approached practice. And I just think they got one another better because the competition didn't stop once they started putting on shorts and, and just getting ready for week to week to week. I think that's the biggest challenge that this coaching staff has to figure out is how do they, how do, they do that? How do they, uh, you know, not you know bury them and and work them too hard, and yet allow them to compete and allow them to practice uh, the way games are, and and allow guys maybe 
who develop a little bit, uh, you know, later, come along a little bit later to beat somebody out midway through the season. I think that's a really good thing. And uh, I think that has to happen in practice, and uh, they um, they have to have a chance to do that. And then the coaches have to respond, and they have to, you know, if, if you beat somebody out in practice, you ought to move up. And uh, I think players need to know that. And there were years when they knew it didn't matter. And those practices aren't very good. Once the players know it doesn't matter, that that the lineup is off. Because Pete Carroll had that, you know, one of his famous principles is uh, uh, your starting lineup should be etched in sand, uh, you know, and it, it can blow away any day. And, you, you know, you're not a member for life, you know, once you made the starting unit. And, and that's going to be a little bit of a problem. Like with the offensive line, you got four starters back. Well, do they automatically start uh, at the start of practice or not? Uh, I'm not sure they should. You got to start somewhere though, but yeah. uh, uh, it's a, uh, it's, it's a big coaching challenge and uh, I don't think they're doing as badly as you think they are, but it's a challenge and they got to get it right. So just so people know, I don't send Dan these questions in advance, and he basically addressed the next one I was going to read from Eric and Duck Country. He said, Coach Helton often says the best player is going to play. How do they know who the best player is when a team rarely goes full speed in practice and there's little to no player rotation during the game? When a starter leaves or graduates, how do they know who will fill that position when other players have rarely entered the game. So I thought that was interesting. You kind of addressed that. Bingo. Bingo. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. That is so true. That there you go. I hope put that on a, a big sign and, and a billboard or something, because uh, that's the, that's the issue. That is such the issue. Uh, man, you hit it and, on the money. And then, Good job. Uh, so, and so people don't know that was uh, Mike. So uh, Michael Pittman's, Younger brother is a four-star wide receiver. Uh, our um, Chris Trevino did an interview with him, and he was very candid and uh, called the coaching staff iffy, didn't like the seniority stuff. So if you want to go on the site, you can read um, exactly what he was going to say. And then I want to pull up this tweet, Dan, for you. So this is from underscore, I mean, at LC underscore Eccles who is Hunter Eccles' dad. Um, okay. I'm reading all these different articles on USC football about the best player plays. That's what pissed me off because it's not true. If you've been watching the last two seasons, the best player isn't playing, and you have three on defense that shouldn't even be on the field. Hashtag fight on. So now i got Hunter Eccles' dad jumping into the thing. And, and, wow. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I, and I think the thing we didn't ever know about Hunter Eccles last year was how healthy he was. I mean, it was not a, a very clear-cut picture of where he was. I mean, when like I, I mentioned in one of the ghost notes already that, man, when he goes by, he really looks like a player. I mean, he really – you think, man, how is this guy not on the field? Uh, so uh, – uh, well, that's interesting. Good. I mean, I think the more pressure, obviously it wasn't a bad thing that, uh, you know, Michael Pittman's dad made his point last year and Michael got out, you know, started getting, uh, getting plenty of playing time. Now he was also getting healthy, but, uh, he, they needed him second half of the season. I mean, he was the, uh, you know, best thing they had going in a couple of those games and just made, you know, kept making plays. So. Interesting. Yeah, he had that record. Uh, he had the record Pac-12 championship game. But that's—I mean—is it weird for like so? Michael Pittman was playing at least. He was the only of that group of five or six wide receivers. He was the only guy that didn't redshirt and played and uh, was involved in stuff. And you know, I—I could—I'm not agreeing with you know when a parent comes on and and starts publicly talking about stuff like that. But I'm not saying it's right or wrong. But I'm just saying like I could understand that a little bit more than. Hunter Eccles is one of those guys we just we're waiting to see him. Like I, I don't know why you would be saying, "Hey, you know, why isn't my kid playing?" When we haven't seen him hardly at all. Yeah, I don't know if there have been discussions about it. You know, what was the what exactly was his injury system situation? I mean, I, I don't think we knew uh, in terms of was he available to play yeah. or not. I think we it doesn't seem like there was a time when he could have been out there and wasn't like, it seemed like he was just hurt and there weren't, you know, at least that's what we understand. I mean, we'll try to find out 
uh, and practice, you know, next week. But it just didn't seem like where the Michael Pittman situation, it was like after a couple games where he might have been healthy, might not have been. And then he started playing again. It's this just seems like a, a weird timing and everything for it, Dan, for me at least. Yeah, yeah. This one I don't I don't quite get this one, but uh I thought it was interesting. You know, we have been told uh you know, for a few years, you can't talk to parents at practice. Okay, and that's not <laughs> you know, that's not a good thing. And uh you can say hi to them and that's it. And they gotta stay on one side of the gate and we're on the other side and what have you. Uh, the problem they've got now is <laughs> <laughs> they can't keep parents off of Twitter. <laughs> They're going to declare, parents, you're not allowed to tweet. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that that will be the next uh, the next issue uh, up for grabs here. But uh, but yeah, that was the point was to kind of keep those uh, those conversations from happening. And there might have been somebody who uh, you know was covering the team that was looking for those kinds of conversations, which I don't think most of us were. Uh, but uh, and we're trying to stir anything up. But uh, it's interesting; they've got a couple of parents that, that aren't afraid to say what they're thinking. Yeah, and the, it, very interesting. I think that was like a um, Armand Armstead kind of thing, right? Or was a, I think yeah. it was yeah, his, it was an Armstead. It was absolutely yeah. Because there was the whole question of uh, was he healthy or not? What were the doctors saying? What were the other doctors saying? What was his dad saying? You know, and it made it kind of made it a little difficult for the dad to come to practice uh if he knew that people were trying to you know get a, a, an angle on, on and he didn't probably want to i mean he would talk to i think you and me but he wasn't always convinced that he his best interests were served by everybody he talked to so yeah but and yeah, like, it, it felt out. like U.S. So you know, if a parent had a beef, they could talk to a reporter. It could make it into the news cycle, and I think USC was trying to stop that. But like you said, now a parent can just tweet it, and then it's all over anyway. So, um, yeah. Well, they, I guess though they will not put the parents' Twitter handle in the media guide no. like they do the, the players. Right. Um, we have a question from Christian. Uh, he said, is there any NCAA discussion for extending spring camp slash training? In general, is 40 practices for a five-month season enough? Coach John Gruden recently said at the NFL Combine, these guys aren't as developed as they used to be. And he also said they don't get to practice in pads that much. Yeah, I agree with the second part of that for sure. I, I don't. I think the 15... And the 20, 15 in spring ball and 25 in, uh, in, in August, I think, you know, that's, uh, I think that's, that's enough. Uh, but I, I think the practice uh, in pads thing, because, uh, you know, somebody like USC, they don't practice in pads as much as they're allowed to. And I know people immediately say, Oh, you want them out there scrimmaging and you want them playing little games and you want them tackling people. No, 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 no. But I think, I think there are ways in which you can, Use the full contact part of practice. It, it, you know, it does not have to include tackling at all. But I just think for the offensive line, defensive line, um, you know, some of the ways you play uh, the ball in the air, if you're a, you know, either a wide receiver or a, a defender in the secondary, uh, I think you do it differently if you're in full pads or if you've got, uh, uh, you know, football pants on than if you have um, uh, shorts you're just going to play the game a little differently. And I know some of the guys say, no, it's not any differently. It's not any different, but I just think, you know, you're, it's much easier to go to the ground and do things that you have to do in terms of blocking and tackling or, um, you know, uh, avoiding blocks and things like that. If you've got knee pads on, if you've got thigh pads on, and if you don't have those on, I just think it's, it becomes a different game. You play higher. It seems to me. Uh, the more you you play in shorts, I think you play higher, and I don't know that that's always a good thing. And you do more reaching uh, than you do uh, extending your whole body. Uh, and so I think the closer you can make it to uh, exact game conditions and game speed and game pressure and game tempo and all that, the better off you are. Uh, you might be out there in full pads and just go for 10 minutes, but uh, you have the ability to do that. And I think you should give yourself that opportunity. And so I, I don't think that's a bad criticism that maybe players aren't as developed because they haven't been in uh, in full pads as much. 
We had a question, uh, Stephen Poway. Uh, uh, you know, I'll give you a live update, Dan. By the way, uh, the cards are down thirty to twenty-three to uh, NKU. So, uh, I, right? Oh no, I still have it on. I'm watching it. Okay, I no, thought, no, I'm watching it. I just yeah, got a no, Twitter I'm, update, that's, so that's I thought exciting, I would. Yeah, <laughs> I, I will say this: when I, I was at NKU for, I'm trying to think, five years, and we beat Xavier, my alma mater, Xavier, twice, and I went to Xavier's SID. And we beat Northern twice. Uh, <laughs> every game was like three or four points. So, so it was fun to be involved in in games like this with with you know programs you really uh, really really care about. So, uh, so anyway, and yeah. if Xavier can be a number one seed, USC can succeed in basketball. I guarantee you. Yeah. From where Xavier came from, uh, when I went to school there, and when I was the SID there. Uh, to where they are now, um, they made all the right decisions. Made all they didn't sell their souls to anybody, and um, and you know they've got a, a basketball program that's just uh, unbelievably productive and, and valuable to the school. And uh, I just think uh, the USC should not give up uh, the thought that they could they could do that. They could. Uh, they just they gotta gotta make some smart decisions. Yeah. Good decision making. I've not been. Uh, it's been lacking around <laughs> USC. All right, we got a few more questions. And we'll let you go. Stephen Poway, he said, surprisingly, grad transfers, retirements, and injuries have already taken a toll on what was a massively overloaded roster just 45 days ago. I'm not saying it's like 2016 when the Trojans needed Stevie Tui Kolavatu to save the season, but the roster is already three players below the 85 player cap, and there's still a long way to go before fall camp. Have you heard any talk of Coach Clay Helton looking for grad transfers to come to USC? Would you agree that the area of most need are tight end, running back, offensive tackle, and defensive tackle? Thanks for all you do. Fight on, Steve and Poway. Uh, that sounds about right, Steve. I think I don't think you know if they got a call from from the the next Stevie uh, at whatever the, whichever one of those positions, uh, he would not have to live in his car. Uh, I think they'd figure out some way to, to take it, and they've got room for that. So, uh, and, and you know, I think it might be one of those things. I mean, one of the the problems that USC does have, and maybe running backs where a kid could come in and say, "Boy, I could actually get on the field. I could help them." Uh, there aren't a lot of positions like that. Uh, I mean, I think tight end. You got is what happens with Daniel? If Daniel Amater baby is back as Daniel Amater baby, there isn't a lot of room with Tyler Petit, Josh Sala, you know, Eric Cromina. There's a, then there, you know, you, you can't know. And I, I think it's one of the smart things for graduate transfers to kind of wait and see how everything plays out, um, you know, in the summer. And I don't know, you know, necessarily what's absolutely still available. Is there a junior college kid available? Uh, but, uh, but I think they would not turn down, um, you know, somebody at, uh, certainly at running back. I mean, uh, the kid they had last year, uh, 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 Jaunty from Northern Arizona, uh, he was, he was a nice player. I mean, he'd have been worth a scholarship. You know, they lost him and Tolan, you know, they lost, uh, you know, one, walk-on scholarship kid and one kid who certainly could have been a scholarship kid. And, uh, they could replace one or two of those kids, those guys, uh, they'd be doing well. I I would think that would be the place I, I think running back would be, uh, is a place you'd like to see somebody show up. Now, if you could find an offensive lineman, big, you know, big frame, uh, especially as a graduate, uh, a grad student. You, I mean, those guys just don't exist much. Uh, but having lost the two Smiths, Cole and Nathan, um, you know, there's a place for, for maybe a one and done guy there. If one would be available, haven't heard a thing, haven't heard a word. Now, of course, last year we hadn't heard a word until that day we saw St- Stevie walk out before practice. He wasn't allowed to practice with them, but he, in his Utah practice gear, it kind of was like, well, who are you? What are you doing? <laughs> Why are you here? Then, you know, you find out, oh, you're living in your car? Uh, I'm not sure that'll ever be replicated again. I don't know that you can be that lucky more than once or so in a decade 
but uh, but I think uh, they'd be open to it if uh, if one of those guys is around. All right, we got one from PJ uh, in the OC. Thank you for your, thank you and your team for continuing to provide us fans with great material, especially all off season. First, I want to thank Dan in his last appearance on the podcast. He took the words right out of my mouth, speaking the truth about the shortcomings of USC, the Pac-12 network, and Clay Helton. Dan is right on the money. My question for him is, do you think Clay can bring in elite-level assistant coaches? Allegedly, coaching around the country, I'm sorry, coaches around the country would jump at the chance to come to USC. However, I have my doubts about Clay's ability to recruit them. Besides Dylan McCullough, he always makes the safe hire. I suspect he just can't get coaches outside of his own experience. That's PJ and the OC. I don't know if that would be all clay. I think, um, I think USC has an attraction for a lot of people. And a lot of coaches have come through here that, uh, you know, from other places who just wanted to coach at USC. Uh, uh, and so I think those guys are available. Uh, and the ones that are in demand though, um, you know, you, you maybe need the, um, you know, the athletic department, uh, to be able to come up with, uh, with the cash that, that you need. Uh, and I don't know that, that USC is in a position, you know, as much, as wealthy as everybody believes USC is. I just don't know that USC athletics is in that position where they can, uh, you know, get in a bidding war with, you know, anybody over anything. I think you have to, you know, find that guy. I mean, obviously, Delan McCullough is the perfect example. Are there any more Delan McCullough? I'm not sure. If you would have ranked every assistant coach in America last year, uh, he might be number one. I mean, he's as good as you can possibly be and uh, in every way. And, you know, it took about a minute, you know, looking at his old resume and watching him, and you knew that. Uh, is that the job to go find those guys? Uh, yeah, but, I mean, the first part of that is you have to have the openings. And, and maybe, you know, if you're not going to have a turnover on the staff much, um, uh, you don't have that much opportunity to do that. And I will say this, if you are doing the right job with, um, uh, your graduate assistants and things like that, like having a Brian Ellis in place, uh, then you don't necessarily have to go outside. Now, you know, you're going to get people, you know, screaming at you that all you're doing is hiring uh Western Kentucky guys. But, um, uh, I mean, I, I uh, I, I think USC has the ability to do it. I, I don't think that Delan McCullough should be like a once in a lifetime thing. I think they've got the ability to do it. I think Clay absolutely, you know, did it, uh, pulled the trigger when he had the opportunity. Um, and Delan would still be here if he, his best friend wasn't coaching at Kansas City. Uh, and so, uh, so I think, I don't, I don't think the door is closed on that. I just don't know that. Clay's the kind of person that's just he's not going to be an Urban Meyer and trying to bring in every defensive coordinator that that gets let go or um, or Nick Sam, you know doing the same thing. I, I don't think that's ever going to happen. But um, but I think they. Uh, I mean, I think the Drevno thing they took advantage of an opportunity and it may not have been exactly what they were thinking about for uh, running backs coach, but I think. Uh, they realize this is an opportunity and it's a little bit uh, different from maybe how they were going to go. And they figured out, let's make this work. Uh, and, and I think that's, that's an upgrade in general. I'm not, not necessarily comparing them to, to the land. Uh, but I think that's a, that's a good way for, you know, for them to go staff wise, development wise. And, uh, and they think you got to keep moving forward. You know, there, you can look at a couple of guys on the staff and say, well, what's their future here? And uh, those next hires might be the ones that tell you uh, uh, whether Clay can do it or not. I think the jury is, is still out. Like a lot of things with Clay, I think the jury is out um, in, in so many ways. All right. We'll see. Uh, we'll probably know a lot more about the jury and what they're thinking this year. <laughs> um, we got one last question. Yeah. Dan, our buddy, uh, class of 1962 from USC, he says, Dan, thank you so much for your enlightened view of what uh, it will take to make the Pac-12 credible again. I hope the conference presidents are listening, especially Max Nikias. You mentioned that muscle memory is needed in order to have great practices 
And there needs to be coaches who know what it is to like to practice hard. Kerry Colbert and BKU uh, both were involved in the intense practices of Pete Carroll. Have they incorporated any of that Pete Carroll practice practice ethic into their practices this spring? And does Clay Helton allow position coaches to run a fast practice for their units? One of my great concerns about Clay is it seems to rely too much on the philosophy of his coordinators rather than them implementing his philosophy. Do the coordinators and Clay involve the other assistant coaches like Kiri and BKU in organizing practices? Thanks for fight on, Dan, class of 1962. Yeah, Dan, those are really good questions. We haven't probably seen enough yet of Kerry working with the tight end. I think BKU uh, has has tried to work as much as he can and coach the way he played and he was coached. Uh, I still think, though, you know, there is a, a limit as to what a position coach can do if you're not in full pads, for example. I'm not sure, you know, that a position coach, uh, you know, are the one-on-ones, the pass blocking, pass, uh, you know, rush, are they the same <clears throat> in full pads or not? I don't think so. Uh, not quite. Not exactly. And they're going to be in full pads in games. So, uh, the position coach, to some extent, uh, you know, doesn't have complete control. For example, I will say that last year, Delaney McCullough ran ran those guys fast. They did a lot of stuff in a in little bit of time, and they made a lot of progress. And it was obvious uh, uh, because the drills they did were really connected to the way the game is played, and the way running backs see the game, and the way running backs have to react. Uh, you know, at full speed and make decisions and, uh, and, and do all the right things, uh, carrying the football, uh, against contact. And, uh, so I, I think, you know, Delan had a, a completely, uh, he could do whatever he wanted, uh, in the time he had allotted. I, I think he had, you know, total freedom to do that. So I think all the coaches do, but then you're also, uh, you know, constricted a little bit by are you in pads or not, and how much time, uh, you know, do they give you? How much time, uh, you know, do you have, uh, you know, to do do what you think you need to get done with your guys? But so it's a combination of things, and I don't know that we know enough yet to see uh, a difference because they haven't been in pads, full pads, uh, for the spring, and we'll know a lot more after the, you know, the next four weeks after they get back uh, next week. I think we'll know a, a lot more if there is kind of a subtle change in, in the direction of, of practice. But uh, very good questions, and it's questions, you know, that that USC has to answer. And Clay has to answer, and those are the, those are the right questions. All right. Great stuff, Dan. Um, it's our spring break edition of the podcast. No practice this week because USC is on spring break, but uh, we'll let you go so you can watch the uh, – USC hoops game tonight. We'll see if uh, the Trojans can advance. Um, I think our buddy Max Meyer tweeted that a source told him Shemeze uh, Metu will sit out the game against uh, UNC Asheville. So that's kind of what we were that's hearing, source, I guess. Yeah, that's that would what the source has told me also. So uh, yeah. uh, you hate to see him go out that way. Uh, smart kid, uh, uh, you know, got a lot going for him. Had a really tough, uh, you know, game against the big guys at Arizona. Uh, Saturday and then to be to not play, uh, you know, tonight, that's, that's too bad. Uh, you'd like to be able to go out, uh, you know, differently, uh, you know, from this. And, and you would like, if USC is going to be in the darn NIT, you'd like to see them try to win it. They're going to get three home games. If they keep winning, um, they can, uh, you know, play at home all the way to, uh, New York. Um, and, and the ideal matchup for me would be USC and Notre Dame. Two teams that maybe should have made it. Notre Dame didn't because of all their injuries and their best player, and he's back now. Uh, but uh, that'd be neat if the, the football rivalry could carry over to basketball and uh, and both of them get to New York and, and get to play one another. But uh, but we'll see. A lot a lot a lots got to happen between now and then. For sure. All right. Well, that's Dan Weber. Make sure you check him out on USAFootball.com. We. Uh, I want to thank our sponsor, Trader Joe's, and thank all of you for listening to us here on the Peristyle Podcast. Might do a recruiting show this week. We'll see. Um, it's going to get a little crazy with the travel and stuff, but uh, you know, we we'll sort of take a break. It's spring break, so 
But we wanted to bring you this show, and then we'll uh, be back again next week with more shows uh, following all the USC spring practices. So thanks to Dan Weber. Thanks to all of you for listening, and we will talk to you next time. You may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets. People ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique, interesting, and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. It's all in the way we do business. We buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible. This helps to keep our costs low, and we pass those savings on to you. No gimmicks, just great values at honest prices. Every day at Trader Joe's. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.